I do want to say a great big welcome to a friend of mine, Dwayne, who's here with us today. <laughs> Haven't seen you in a year, but anyhow, it's blessed to see you, brother. I know he was up at uh, the, the outreach that we did up here in the park, and so we're always blessed to see friends that come and hang out with us as we worship and praise the Lord here in this sanctuary. I, uh, for most of you know that I was gone last weekend. We had a wedding to do in Michigan. It was great for the first time. I messed things up, and they probably already forgot about it. But, you know, I'm not used to holding a mic. Normally I have, you know, my headpiece on. And so I looked at the best man. I looked at the maid of honor. And I said, could I have the rings, please? As they handed me the rings, I stuck them here because I had to hold on to the mic. Well, little did I realize that everything started happening in slow motion. Although it happened thump, thump, thump real quick. But to me, I was like, I can't get them. Well, what happened was I had my binder like this. As if you've been to a wedding that I performed, it was on there like this. And as I sat them down, they rolled right off. I'm thinking this is not happening. And it's happening in fast speed, and I'm looking down going, no. What people didn't realize is that there was a crack where we were standing, and I'm thinking, no, no, no. And they went, thump, and God stopped them right there. So I just kindly, I didn't know what to do with my mic, and I, did I set it here? I don't know what I did. I think I blacked out at that moment, picked up the rings, put it back on here, and we went right back into the ceremony. So there's always all kinds of things that can happen. I try to be prepared, but... Nonetheless, it was a beautiful wedding. We had gorgeous weather. And I have to tell you, for many, I don't know if you know this, but if it, it's supposedly if it rains on your wedding day, that's good luck. Well, it was beautiful up there. I mean, it was a beautiful day for a wedding. And uh, right when they got ready, I think it was before the Unity Candle, right after, it poured. And I thought to myself, I looked out, and it was blue. I mean, it was beautiful. And... Uh, and it just poured and then stopped, never rained the rest of the evening. And, uh, I mean, it was a downpour. So I think that was God telling me, it's okay, Todd. You're allowed to make mistakes. All is good. Oh, it's my one. Oh, you're so gracious to me, honey. It's my one for the year. It's my one for the day. And, uh, however... I am excited to go into this series of messages as I've been speaking on offenses. And I just want to say a great big thank you to Luke. And a thank you to um, Steve. I know that he's covered for me. Todd is covered when I've been gone. It is great to have men of God that can fill in the pulpit and do a great job. And uh, I was just disappointed that I wasn't here to hear Luke's message. Because one of my favorite characters, and I don't know why... I love dun, 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 Inspector Gadget. I mean, that brought back memories for me. And I know he referenced that in his message last week. So, um, you know, I do appreciate his heart. I want you to be in prayer for a couple things. One, Brian Stansberry is in the hospital. Please be in prayer for him. He's at Akron City um, having some COPD problems. Uh, and then also pray for Luke and Allie, for um, Bob and Pam, for Ron and Lucinda, and who else is traveling? I know there was a lot of people that, that are gone because they're traveling and so on and so forth. But uh, if you'll please be in prayer for them, we would greatly appreciate it. And they would even more. So I know Brian covets your prayers. Uh, I know Butch and Jessica are in the back. Continue to pray for them through uh, the adoption process that favor would be found. And uh, 
So let's go ahead and go right into, if you would please look into your Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 10. I start off the message today and I ask you an important question. Have you ever met someone who is a spear thrower? And you're going to say, well, what's all this about? Well, my message today is about dodging spears. A spear thrower is someone who hurts others. One who is self-absorbed. Maybe even called a destroyer. A religious individual who you go to church with. An individual maybe whom you work with. The family you married into that has become very obnoxious and yet dysfunctional. Spear throwers are everywhere and at every level of society. This morning there may be a spear thrower among us. But if you will recall my previous messages, I said that many think it applies to someone else, never you. Interesting, huh? We have talked about forgiveness. We've talked about offenses where people store them deep down in their soul and they keep them there. So today we learned why does God allow spear throwers in certain places and in prominent places and what does God want to teach us as we are next to a spear thrower in our relationships of life. We start off this morning speaking about a character found here in 1 Samuel chapter 10, and his name is Saul. As the Bible said, he was afraid of people. One thing you will learn about a spear thrower is that it is not necessary for them to be good, but rather they must look good. To a spear thrower, a javelin thrower, appearances are everything. So we look deep into 1 Samuel chapter 10 as we find out who this Saul was. I have to say, every time I reference King Saul or King David, it's probably one of my most favorite stories in the Bible, even though so many chain of events took place through King Saul with David as a young man. As David gets older, his affair with Bathsheba, Saul you know, was anointed of God, although David was anointed of God. I love just to see the dimension of the two and how God used both of them. Amazing, isn't it, that, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, that even in our churches, we see the pastors are anointed, we see individuals are anointed of God, and yet they don't exhibit it, they don't demonstrate that in their Christian life. Israel needs a king. In Samuel's commission... He is appointed by God to find the one whom the Lord would choose. Let's look together. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, It is not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance. I want you, if you would, please, I'll be reading out of the King James Version, but let's take that word anointed, let's circle it, and also write in your Bible, if you would, Or if you will, maybe the word chosen. That Samuel said, here you are chosen. When thou art departed from me today, when thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelzoth, and they will say unto thee, the asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? Then shall thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, 
and there shall meet thee three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids and another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a bottle of wine, and they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. After that, thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines, and it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabre and a pipe and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. And I'm going to stop right there because what I want you to notice, I'm going to give you three characteristics right off of the bat that you'll notice about King Saul. One, he was anointed of God. So we noticed in verse 1 that it says there he was what? He was anointed. He was chosen of God. Isn't it amazing? We can look in our circles. We can go back through generations of pastors in our lives and say, he was so anointed of God. How did he lose focus? Isn't it amazing that the tempter is always there like a roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour? And we've read that in in the New Testament in Peter. So listen, when you start to fall asleep, rest assured that the enemy is always there. He is always there to tempt you and to mess up your life. And so one, we notice in characteristic number one that he was anointed of God. Characteristic number two, He had the prophetic gift. Notice in verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Now shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry, Till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. I'm going to stop right there. We notice that he had a prophetic gift. Isn't it amazing that in... In our lives, people will say, I have accepted Jesus Christ. Many people have said to me, Pastor, I have a question. We've seen people come through the baptismal waters. But why do they disappear right after that? We never see them back in the church. They get saved. They get baptized. They're baptized in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in the newness of life. Because think about it. It's an outward profession of an inward confession. They just made it known to everybody in the world that they've accepted Jesus Christ and that he has supreme authority of their life. And yet what ends up happening is they forget the giftings that God gives them. Yesterday as I was was, um, speaking with this couple, they came in for premarital counseling getting married here on October 11th. One of the things that, that always concerns me, and I start right off the bat, I need to ask you an important question. In order for the two of you to become one, we're not just talking intimately through the flesh. We're talking spiritually, emotionally, and all other attributes and and, and characteristics in your life of a Christian. Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And he looked at me with this funny look. And he's like, no. She knew the Lord, and he didn't. But he was willing 
to accept Jesus Christ and to accept whatever outcome becomes in his life. Why, why are we not willing to accept what God has for our life? I love what it says there about Saul. It said his heart was changed. So we see in his characteristic here that even though he had that gift, God wants to bless you and give you gifts. He just wants you to use them for his glory. We lose perspective. We lose sight because we then all of a sudden start seeking out our own fleshly desires instead of his kingdom desires and his spiritual desires. We live in a time and a place where it's very difficult. It's very difficult for people to stay faithful and committed and consistent to serving the Lord. This past week, my wife and I went down to Berlin, which is down here in Amish country, spent a few days there. Never done that before, but it was awesome. It was relaxing. We enjoyed it. We walked into a uh, store, uh, P. Dunn Graham store, and some of you, are you familiar with it, where they do a lot of the engraving and, and the scriptures and so on? It just You walk in the place and you go, ah, oh, Jesus is here. I'm serious. You walk around and go, ah, oh, Jesus is everywhere. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's just a great feeling. The Spirit of God is just rich. You know, it reminds me where it says in, in His Word, it won't come back void, but it'll prosper. There to which I send Isaiah 55. One thing I love about going in that store is I can read scriptures. You see the face of Jesus. You, I mean, it just, it ministers to you from the minute you walk in the door to the minute you leave. We found favor with the owner of the store, and he was able to, um, to tell me, you know, hey, here's what I'm going to do. We're doing nameplates for you for free. We're going to do this for you for free. If you walk down into the foyer, you'll notice he did some engraving for us, cut the price right in half, gave us a sign for free. I mean, just really found, we found favor with him. And Mark and I started talking. And uh, he made the comment to me. He said, can I ask you a question? And I said, well, what's that, Mark? And he said, how many people go to your church? So you said that you're the founding pastor. How many people actually attend there? And so I proceeded to tell him. And he said, you know, our church was doing very, very well. The name of his church is called Salt and Light. And uh, he was actually raised in the Amish culture. His mom and dad did not believe that you can get to heaven by works. They found grace through Jesus Christ. Amen. They understood that, you know, he went to the cross. And so now they're Mennonite. And uh, so speaking with him, he proceeded to say that in their church, they ended up splitting. The church split. They were running about 250. Now they're down to about 125. And he said to me, can I ask you a question? Does everybody use their gifts in your church? Does everybody participate on Sunday night and Wednesday? I said, well, we don't have a Sunday night service. See, God desires to bless your life. God desires to anoint your life. God desires to pour into your life. You have to be ready and willing to receive it and to accept it. Do I hear an amen up in there? Listen, God loves his children. In Ephesians 5, he speaks of salt and light and darkness. And yet I looked at Mark and I said, Mark, it doesn't matter what culture, just because they walk around and have a bonnet on their head and dark clothes doesn't mean that the enemy is sleeping. Satan is always there to distract and to uh, detour people from coming to the one who hates Jesus Christ. And so here is Saul. 
I mean, we look at his characteristics and we think, he has lost his mind. You know, all of a sudden, and it reminds me so many times in the churches, and, and I am getting ahead of myself, but we get puffed up, puffed up with pride and God can't use us any longer. But I hope you'll see through the scriptures that God starts to use Saul, and he used him mightily. And yet, we noticed here that he was anointed, he had the prophetic gift, and characteristic number three, it says that he was handsome, he was sharp. If you will, turn to, in verse 23 and 24, we notice here that the people praised Saul for he was tall. You like it, right? Let's say it together. Saul was there you go. Okay, I just I wanted just to add that in there. Okay, that's for some of you that might be starting to fall asleep. Verse 23, And they ran and fetched him thence, and when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. It's amazing. Here's a guy who was distinguished, who was anointed, who was a prophet, who was blessed of God. He was sharp. He was the best candidate, a great candidate for any young lady. I have a 20-year-old and he saws in the building. Okay. All right. I thought maybe some of you young men might jump up. God's man for God's possession. God's man for God's possession For God's use among the people for that moment in time and for history. He starts to win battle after battle after battle. And you start to see that God really lifts him up, really uses him mightily before pride sets in. What then starts to go wrong with this fine young man? We're going to skip over some things. We're going to go right into 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you will, please, Samuel 18. We'll be jumping back and forth for sake of time and uh, because there's just so much information. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Here we start to notice that Saul becomes very, very jealous. Even though he's still this distinguished, fine young man, anointed, blessed of God, a prophet, now he becomes a spear thrower. Verse 5, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Isn't it amazing? In walks the guy, highly favored, everybody likes him, and all of a sudden, the king starts to get jealous. And it says here that he was highly favored by everybody. Verse 6, And it came to pass, as they came down when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. 
rut row. No, you should not have said that. That wasn't a good idea. You know what I'm saying? So, verse 8, Saul was very angry. It says, Saul was so mad, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. He kept his eye on him. He watched him closely. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, he cast the spear, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided. David ducked out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore when Saul saw that, they, that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. What then starts to go wrong? Everybody started noticing all of the great works of this fine man. So let's look at the characteristics of a spear thrower. Here's what it says. Characteristic number one. He believed the kingdom was his and not God's. So then we back up just a little bit. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10 and 11, I'm going to have you bouncing back and forth here. It says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And then we look in verse 28, and it says, And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath torn, rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. He disobeyed God. He got puffed up with pride. The Lord gave it to him, and the Lord takes it away. But King Saul holds on to it until his knuckles turn white. He said, this is my kingdom, and nobody is going to take my place. Better yet, I'm taking matters in my own hands. And that he did. And doesn't it say there that Saul went after him twice as he did what? He moved to the side, and the spear hit the wall. God gives people positions of authority. God gives people positions of power. God gives people money. And yet, when they are removed from their kingdom, they become very, very upset and vengeful. And they are recognized as a spear thrower. They feel no one has the right to take my kingdom from me. Have you met a pastor like that before? I've been under and I just have to say that that listen it's out there listen this is mine I've worked hard for it and yet 
They don't realize that it's God's church. This is his building. This is his property. We're just used as instruments for him. We must be very careful. Many think if that if they leave an organization, that it will collapse. But too many people are amazed that the organization finally starts to recover and make money. That church will never make it. That place I work at will never make it. How many of you have been there, right? I know some of us have said it. I'll show them I'm leaving because I'm the most valuable person in the whole company. And you leave and you wonder why they're still in business after 20 years because you finally realize, oh, that's right. I guess I wasn't the most valuable person. God will always rise somebody else up to do his job in the workplace, in the home, anywhere. We've got to be very careful. Let God have his way. And then yet, characteristic number two, here's what happened to Saul. He got obsessed with jealousy and insecurity. We noticed in verse 8, Saul was very angry towards David. Saul blames everyone for his failures and begins to take credit for other people's successes. That was the kind of heart that Saul had. Have you ever met somebody like that? They don't want you to have credit for anything. Let me give you an illustration. I was sitting in my office last night, and my wife will recall this. And uh, I remember being a youth pastor. And we got on the subject of purity. Let's abstain from sex. <gasps> you talked about that in the church. Well, let me explain something to you. God made woman for man to procreate. He said, it is a good thing. Do I hear a glory up in there? All right. So it's clean. Society's made things ugly, but God's made procreation beautiful between man and woman. Between man and woman. So anyhow, so as we continue, I was before the, the youth, and, and I said to them, listen, you need to be pure before God, before man, before your spouse. I used to say to my wife all the time, I used to say, honey, I want to make sure, and we were together seven years. Seven. That was very difficult in the prime times of my life. Okay? Just thought I'd share, share that with you. Not that it meant anything. But, so seven years, and I said, we might have daughters someday. I'm going to look them in the eye and say, I did not take advantage of your mother. So I did not take advantage of your mother. And so I've told them that. So purity was high on my list. So we're, I'm explaining that it should be just as equally important to these young people. Okay. This mother calls me. Ring, ring, ring. Hello. Um, Todd, I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, what is that? Um, you know, had you not spoke about purity in class, my daughter wouldn't be pregnant right now. Mm-hmm. Did you just really go there? I said, excuse me? Did you just say, and I could still picture where I was at in the basement of our house, and she was deflecting and blaming me for her not being where she should be and teaching her daughter the importance of abstaining. I said, well, I appreciate you calling me. Now I've got to ask you a question. Are you the one that gave 
her permission to grow, go to Pennsylvania and get a hotel room? I, I, how, how could you say such a thing like that? I said, I'm her youth pastor. I'm not her mother. I'm not her father. You're the one that's in control of guarding her parameters. 18 years old, 19, that's not my fault. And so I said this to her very kindly to her and lovingly. Well, if I'm going to take blame for your daughter's or your daughter being pregnant, then I would like to take credit for your son being in Bible college. You know what she said? I don't think so. Oh, wait a minute here. Do we have a spirit like King Saul? Interesting. Are you becoming a spear thrower? I think that's what she was doing. She was trying to pin me against the wall. Instead of taking responsibility, she was throwing a spear to nail me against a wall and say, you know what, this is your fault. Well, look into the mirror, lady. It's your fault. Your daughter is old enough. She made a choice, and it's really her fault and her responsibility. So let's put it where it's supposed to be. I find out that many times in our life that insecurity, jealousy comes up. You know what started this whole thing? Their daughter loved my wife and I. And I started noticing some resentment, some jealousy. And I want to say I'm thankful that through this young woman's life that we were there as her youth pastor. You know, people don't, don't understand, but when you have spare throwers among you, it can be dangerous. You need to duck. Sometimes you need to just run. Because before long, they could take your life. I knew right after that, you know what? It's not good for me to be around somebody that possesses those attributes. Let me move on. So we've all met it. We've all met people like that. We've met someone that just has to be the center of attention everywhere. If not, and people don't show up, they're offended. You've known that before. Well, you know what? I, I had this party, and you, they won't come to your events, but you have to go to theirs. That's how King Saul was. He wanted to have an event. He wanted to be the center of attention. Erwin Luther quotes this, and I love this. They have to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. <laughs> if they are not in the middle of it, they are not there. That's how King Saul was. He said, listen, if I'm not the star in this kingdom, nobody else will be. And so it continues. So characteristic number three, he tried to drive a wedge between people. Listen closely. Spear throwers will do this. They'll try to drive a wedge. If you'll notice in that story that the mother tried to drive a wedge between her daughter's relationship with my wife and I. Guess what happened? It happened. We weren't at their wedding. We weren't able to participate because that's what people do. They drive a wedge between people. Even Saul tried to convince his own son Jonathan to kill David, and thankfully he didn't. I think we can learn from this example that there are times when we need not to listen to our earthly father. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, there was manipulation on part of Saul, on the part of Saul, where he was saying, "Listen, Jonathan, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out, I want you to take the life of David." Well, Jonathan loved David. Remember, it says all the way back that there was favor with him. There was this kindness and this love. And I won't go into that, 
this morning, but he tries to convince his son to take David's life, but despite Saul's jealousy, his trickery, and oppression, David's conduct still remained exemplary. He behaved himself wisely, not repaying evil for evil. And so in the midst of all this, you can read the stories, you've heard it before, that here was Jonathan who finally says, listen, I love David. I find it interesting that even in David's life, it says that David was also anointed of God. Saul was anointed of God. And so here in a minute, I'm going to point out a couple things about a spear thrower. And, you know, the reason why we're having these messages on offenses, because there are people that are among us. God wants to take out the Saul in every one of us. Shall I ask if there is anyone here today that has a little bit of Saul in them? Is that possible? Listen, you and I have the tendencies to have the same characteristics of that king. He had it flowing through his veins, going straight to his bones. He was vengeful. He had a heart that was turned away from God. It It can be easily done. But pastor, how is that possible? He was anointed. Don't you think God takes every person through some trials and through some tribulations regardless if you're anointed? It's during that time of brokenness that God starts to restore you back to Him. And I know that's what He was doing with King Saul. Now what do we do or how do we react when a spirit is thrown at us? Or what do you do when you live with someone that is a spear thrower? Here's what somebody said. You need to duck and run. And we notice that even in David's life. It says there that David got out of the way. Not once, but twice. He dodged it. He didn't hang around and say, here I am. Get me if you can. Here's a big bullet. Hey, this is awesome. I'm proving everybody I'm such a great guy. Go ahead. Keep throwing spears at me not what he did it wasn't a game of hide and go seek for david i believe it is a great idea to put some distance between you and the spear thrower and it is safe for many many reasons so we look at this a couple things about a spear thrower one don't take it personally don't take it personally Many of the accusations and anger that are pointed at you are more than likely and probably what many say and see about them I do believe that we need to take what many say to heart if presented the right way. However, for a spear thrower, we have to say he is looking into his own heart and thinking he is seeing me. You just can't reason with a spear thrower. If you have ever met someone who is very evil, you will come to find out that there is no reasoning with them. Remember that a spear thrower like this is not interested in you. They're only interested in their version. Isn't it amazing that we as Christians say, we're here to love one another. We want to have peace with mankind. 
But all of a sudden, even David played an instrument for King Saul. He loved him. And yet there he was right among, right in the crowd with him. Yet here he was. He got distracted. He lost his vision. Don't take it personally. Sometimes this is just the way some of these people are too. Don't become a spear thrower. Many of us, unlike David, would have grabbed that javelin out of the wall and said, Saul, you better run, you better hide because I'm coming after you. We laugh because we get it. We know it. I'm, go- you know, the Bible says eye for an eye, two for two. Step back because I'm taking all your teeth. You know, that's how we are. Many of you go, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm so loving and kind, I would never do something like that. No, there's many spare throwers that are among us that would do that. And we've all been there. David could have killed Saul twice. Remember that cloak that David had gotten? There was Saul. He fell asleep. He was in a cave. And this is what's amazing. Do you guys understand from King Saul's reign to King David's reign was 10 years? For 10 years, Saul went out to kill David, can you kick the air on for a minute, please? So here he was, he was in a cave, and David's standing over there going, uh-huh, I can get him. Remember, how many did Saul kill? What did the scripture say? Thousands, and David slew his ten thousands. So here's David. He is a master craftsman of the javelin. He could have probably just thrown that spear and nailed him, and yet he didn't. But he looks over and he goes, oh, yeah, he's resting. This is going to be good for me. So he goes in just to show that King Saul was anointed of God. He went in, took his cloak, cut it, and went back and watched as Saul woke up and went, na, 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 boo, boo. No, he didn't do that. Uh, He watched and he noticed that. He looked at his clothing and said, oh no, David's been here. And yet David still showed love. Saul wouldn't accept it. David could have taken his life. And yet David knew there was a higher power, a higher authority, and that was the God of the universe that had supreme authority over his life. It's amazing to me. David, he was anointed. And yet, he said, I will not render evil for evil. Number three, learn the lessons that God wants to teach you in this experience. God wants to teach you something. God's always trying to teach us something. I bet you as a pastor, I have said it not 50 times, 150. Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this situation? Lord, am I responding the right way in this situation. As I look at our lay people, as I look at the congregation, I say, you know what? God's teaching you a lesson through this. Saul Saul reigns for 10 years. David runs. Yet many thought, what in the world is going on here? Why doesn't God just wipe out King Saul and give it to David? We have all thought that a time or two. We've all read the story and thought, why, why does this keep going on and going on? Well, we notice here, what God was doing is making sure that David didn't have the potential of becoming Saul number two. 
He allowed him to go through that. David had the potential to be a spear thrower. That same sinful seed was in David. Even Absalom, his son, had to deal with the same major issues that King Saul had to deal with. Yet God was trying and he was always testing David. He said, the only way I can take Saul out of his heart is that he would be pursued for ten long years. Years of fright. Years of difficulty. Years of challenge and hopelessness. But God says, I am more interested in brokenness. Do you hear that? God says, I am more interested in brokenness. In chapter 18 it reads, I thought I heard that. I believe that there are many that God wants to live in pain, but it's to bring us what? Out of brokenness. Sometimes I can't help but think that God is more interested in brokenness than he is of success. We've said it over and over. When you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. People say, oh God, I can't handle this any longer. I can't handle this brokenness state that I'm in. But God is ready to pick you up, to lift you up, and to make you successful. Not for you, for Him. But He knows the pride, the attributes of Saul that's in your heart, that He knows that if He allows you to get from here to the level of brokenness, to the level of success, you'll forget who He is. God loves you. He loves His children. A man once said, because of my pain, I now understand and have a listening ear. Brokenness brought about a softer heart. Isn't that amazing? I will tell you this. If I resign tomorrow as a pastor, if my my ministry is over at New Hope, being here nine years and really pastoring and working in the youth, it's been 20-some years, 23, 24. But I have to say that... It's during my times of brokenness that I've learned some of the greatest lessons of my life. It's during my times when I'm on my knees, when I'm praying, when I'm taking those quiet walks in the morning and my development. It's in those times at night where where I kneel next to a recliner and I ask God to help me. It's during those times of brokenness that I sense and feel the presence of God. You will never know or understand. God wants to give you $1 million. People always say, You know, if I could win the lottery, I would do this with that money. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because you're not doing it now with the money that he gave you. Mm Mm-hmm. See, if you're faithful with little, God will be faithful to bless you with much. David loved Saul. But why did David have to suffer for ten years? My goodness, this is a young man who said, I'm going to go out and slay that giant. He walked straight out there, took his slingshot, knocked him in the head, killed him. When some of the greatest men of God that were out there, giants in that army, wouldn't do it. But David did. David could have said, "Uh, folks, step back. Here's a parade, and you know who I am when they picked him up and was cheering him on. Brokenness. God was just making sure that David didn't have the potential of becoming Saul number two. Number two, have patience, ten long years. So what was David doing during these years of pain and suffering? As he journeyed from cave to cave, what was he doing? He was running for his life. 
Saul didn't want him to live. Saul wanted his kingdom. This was his place. This was his house. This was his life. He liked everything that he had. He didn't have to work for it. People served him. He took advantage of them. And yet, God still allowed David to run like that when God could have said, and taken Saul's life. But we would have never had some of the greatest songs that are written in the Word of God that bring comfort and healing to many of us when we've been broken. Only David knew that, so David writes those songs. And I just wrote down a couple of them. Had he not suffered, we would have missed it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. My heart boasts in the Lord. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Be still and wait on the Lord. I could keep going on and on and on. He has the greatest reputation and is known as the world's greatest comforter. That's David. Had he not been broken, we wouldn't have the Psalms. So God put a Saul over him to use him mightily to encourage all of us as we open of the Psalms to encourage us through our difficult moments. If you've ever faced death, you open up the Word of God and you, you start sifting through it and you go, um, what am I going to read? I'm grieving, I'm mourning. But isn't it wonderful that the Holy Spirit just says, right there, there's Psalms. Praise you, the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. And you start to read it, and before long, you start feeling restored, you start feeling rejuvenated. When I start to notice people backsliding as a shepherd, I have to tell you, I'll say, hey, listen, get into the Word of God, open up the book, read from Psalms. It will comfort your life because David knew what it was like. Listen, we're at a place. I just spittled. Uh, we're at a place where in, see, spittle was a message I preached on uh, a couple years ago. So every time, you know, when you have a gap like mine, sometimes things just come flying out. You know, so anyhow, uh, I'm like, well, what just happened here? You have your helmet on. No, just kidding. And, uh, but praise the Lord. <laughs> So I want to say this, that when, when you've questioned God and you said, God, I can't get through this, you know what, I've been, I've been running from the spirit thrower. Listen, we started this church. It's not a secret. I was in a ministry with another pastor. It was a nightmare. I have to say it was an earthly nightmare. I love him, and I'm, I'm glad he's still doing his work. Praise the Lord. I never wanted any harm or hurt, nothing like that. But do you know he's still throwing spears at me? And do you know what I ask God all the time? It is nine years. When is this going to be over? Really? And yet, God's still in control. And you know what he says? It's not going to be over, Todd. And as I sat in my office last night, I thought, yep, even David went ten years. David went ten years suffering and running. So God kept him humble instead of a proud heart coming. God's so good to us. He loves us. So we notice we have to have patience. Number three, 
attitude of triumph and surrender. David waited patiently on the Lord for God to give him the kingdom to rule and reign over. When David could have otherwise taken it, David said, when fleeing from Saul and said, it is better to fall in the hands of God than in the hands of men. He noticed what triumph was. The day that God called me when I was 15 years old in Indiana under a missionary that was preaching was as real today as it was many years ago. The day that God said, start New Hope Christian Fellowship was the same day that I felt the same presence and power of God. And no matter what obstacles come my way, no matter what adversity comes my way, I have to realize that the God of the universe still has supreme authority and is over my life. He loves you and wants to be over your life if you'll allow Him. But you won't get to a place of surrender to allow Him to do a work in you because you're afraid. Can you imagine David? David was obedient. David was surrendered. God wanted to do something great in him. Listen, we could shake Akron, Ohio with this congregation that's right here. If I can take a youth group of four to five kids and turn it into almost a hundred, I didn't do that. I motivated them. We can do the same thing in this church and hit Akron by storm. And people would see the power of God, Jesus Christ, in and through your life. I'm at a place in my life where, you know what, there was a time, you know, we're building a church, we're building a church, we're building a church, we're building a church. I'm building a church. I thought I was building a church. And I was building a church. You get the picture? I didn't care. You know what? I want people that have a desire for the Word of God. We need to have a desire, a sincere desire for the milk of the Word. Attitude of triumph and surrender. And as I go to close this morning, there is one of the greatest examples who walked this earth, who knew what adversity was. He knew what darkness was like. He experienced the same afflictions and affirmities that we experienced, and yet he still went to the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is the greatest example. He could have called 10,000 angels. Here's what he said. Do you not know that I could speak a word and ten legions of angels would come and deliver me? Here's an amazing statement from the Gospel of Luke. When they come to take Jesus, he says these astounding words to his spare throwers, to his captors. He says this in Luke twenty-two fifty-three. This is your hour. And the power of darkness. In essence, this is your time when darkness rolls. As he hung on the cross, he said, Today you win. And he allowed evil to triumph. Listen closely. If there is abuse in and around you, I am not, ex- saying, I am not saying to you, accept that abuse. What I am saying is stop it. Stop what you're doing. Even though Jesus Christ identified sin and darkness in man, we need to stop it. 
And I say this. Today, you win. Today, you accept the path that you're on. Speaking of triumph, when God puts those around us that have the heart of King Saul, Jesus said, this hour and the power of darkness is yours. He hangs on the cross. He died and is raised again in triumph and in victory. Every principality and every power and every name that is named is now under his feet and he is now Lord over all. Hallelujah. He is king and he is God. Let's let God exalt us and let's let God exonerate us. Let's us let God break us. That out of the depths of our experiences that we might find grace while living in pain. I looked at my dad on his deathbed. And I said, Dad, if this is all you had to experience with cancer was three weeks, you've seen the grace of Almighty God. And that's all he suffered was three weeks. But I hope we can say that as God breaks us, that out of the depths of our experiences that we see his grace while living in pain. Remember the old hymn that reads, and I say, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. I am the potter, you are the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. See, that was David's advice to us. Wait on the Lord. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Today, where's your heart? Do you have the heart of Saul? Do you have the heart of David? Do you understand that many in this room can attest to and profess to, yes, I have experienced some spear throwers, some javelin throwers in my life. And yet, In that, I'm going to see the almighty hand and the power of God in my life. How many of you would say this with me as you receive it? Today, I receive the power of God. We can do that. The forgiveness of God, the grace of God. He loves you. Do you love him? Let us all stand as we close. Father, we come to you today, Lord, grateful your message. Lord, we come today realizing that only forgiveness comes from your heart, from your mouth, and from your hand. Lord, we ask that today, that we'll put down our spears, that we'll put down our offenses, and we'll put down our hurt. God, I pray that today, as we come to this altar, as we bow our head and we reflect upon 
the pain that we've suffered from many people. That, Lord, it was during those times of brokenness that you triumphed. Lord, today help us to be Christians that, Lord, can overcome the heart of Saul. Lord, help us not to render evil for evil. Lord, you said vengeance is mine. You'll handle it. And so, Lord, help us to to realize that we're only hurting ourselves when we don't forgive. We're only hurting ourselves when we continue to to go after or reach out or to criticize and to destroy an individual. Lord, restore our hearts with love, with peace, with your spirit. In your holy name we pray. Amen.